0: Well, good morning. Uh, uh, I know some of you probably expect me to do a sketch right now. (laughs) Um, I'm normally working behind the scenes. So, Um, As Allison mentioned, I'm on staff here as creative arts coordinator. Um, I have been with Grace since pretty much the very beginning. It was established in September of 92. We started coming in 93. Uh, By 95, I was part-time, and then by 99, I was full-time. And over the last 25 years, I've helped. I've worked alongside the pastors in all the services, incorporating the arts, and and also working in community events. Uh, I've also helped with a lot of the church plants, and over the last few years, I was in Brevard down there helping with that church plant, but now I'm back here part-time. So just some backstory for some of you who don't know me. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be sharing the message today. I've actually preached a few times in Brevard, um, but never here, and, um, and today's topic is very personal. Uh, the title is Beauty in the Gospel. It's obviously something I've been wrestling with for a long time with a lot of the artists here at Grace. So a lot of these thoughts are very experiential. They're not just concepts on a page. Um, And I want to do that through the scripture and through various media, uh, but the passage that we're getting ready to read has been very foundational in the thinking. It really has been just a solid lens to look through uh, all that we do. So as we read our central text, if you would stand uh, and join me in this passage from Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the amazing journey that I've been on with you all these years. And an opportunity now to talk about that from your word. Bring it alive in us again today. May your spirit point us to you, the source of all beauty and all that you have accomplished to draw us to yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. Just so you know, I may cry a lot through this. Uh, It's very personal. But uh, as we dig into this topic, um, I want to do a little bit of intro before I get to my main points. So as we talk about arts and creativity, and we talk about why we as human beings are so into it, so obsessed with it, we have to first ask the question of our creator, or what's he like? What is he like when it comes to creativity and beauty? Well, Paul says this in verse 15. He says this about Jesus. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Again, he's talking about Jesus, all creation coming through him. We hear this in John's Gospel in chapter 1. We see this actually in Genesis, in the very beginning. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Genesis, when it's giving that account, it's actually Hebrew poetry. It's actually written as a song. It's not written to be read as an account of a how-to, a how did, how did creation happen? but it's almost like a dance, in a sense, of what's going on there in creation. So what is God like? You know, when we look around, are there windows throughout creation that really point to his nature, to all of this? Well, I think Genesis 1.31 gives at least a hint of that. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. You know, what, what is this saying here? Um, the music producer Charlie Peacock, in his book, um, um, uh, making art for the glory of God, he says this, he says, is God just saying that he looks over all creation and he just says, uh, it passes inspection, check, you know, it's good, everything is okay? Or is it such that in creation, he poured his nature into, into everything in such a way that it's woven into every single fabric of creation that there's nowhere that there's not a trace of him? Even in the things that are broken and fallen, there's still a piece of him. And Peacock went on to say, he said, it's as if God is looking over all creation after he's made it, and he's, he's satisfied. It's like a chef who has just made a great meal, and he's saying, it is good. It is really good. Uh, in his book, Sacred Romance, author John Eldridge puts it like this. Creation was a result of the laughter of the Trinity. That means God was so one, the Trinity was so one, full of joy, it could not, it, they couldn't not create. Do you understand? They, they had to create. There was so much love and oneness going on inside of the Trinity that out of that comes creation, and it pours into everything. Have you ever thought about, when you think about creation... Like, why did God make things the way he did? Why do things smell the way they do, taste the way they do, touch the way they do? If it's just function, why make it so intoxicating and beautiful? Or is that a window into who he is? Yes, creation has design and purpose, but like every piece of art, you want to look at what's going on with the artist. What were they trying to say? What was behind all of that? And He has poured Himself into all of creation. Do you realize through all of Scripture, He's constantly using metaphors and images to to point back to Himself. Some of the prophecies, it's believed, were actually sung. Did you know that? Like, they didn't just stand and give it. They actually sung it to the people. And God is using images and metaphors throughout Scripture. Why did Jesus use parables? If Jesus was with God in in the beginning and he helped create us, like he's, he's one with God, right, so he knows us, he's the artist, we're his artwork, he would know how to connect with us, right? So why doesn't he just say, the kingdom of God is like, and he says it, check, let's move on, like math. Why does he tell a story? And what is it about stories where you find yourself in the story that sometimes somebody can say to you, you all know this, you've been in a movie or you've watched a TV show, and there's something in that character that you see in yourself. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it can be haunting. It can be overwhelming. And someone could just say to you, hey, don't judge people. But then you see somebody judging somebody, and you know that that's partly you. And it's haunting and it's compelling. I think that's why Jesus did it. I think he knew that that's the way to connect with us. I think that's why some worshipped him. And I think why some of the Pharisees, they knew they were the villains in the story. And it was so powerful they, they wanted to get rid of him. He knows how to capture our imagination. So if God is the creator and we are his creation, well then what are we like? Well, Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That means that our very nature, every single one of you in this room, every one of us, at our core, we are creative beings. We are designed to express or experience creativity. In fact, Picasso put it like this. Every child is an artist. The trick is remaining one when you grow up. From early on, it's in all of us. you ever asked a kid, like, just ask a small kid, hey, draw a truck. You know, really little. They're like, oh, I can't. Like, most kids will just, yeah, I can draw one. Give me a crayon. I'll draw it. You know, and they hand it to you. And, and it may not look like a truck. <laughs> but, but hey, it's a truck. And then fear and comparison sets in. And some of us retreat from it. Right? And sure, some are more gifted than others. But don't miss what Picasso is saying there. What he's saying is, it's in every one of us to create or experience art. It's in every one of us, there is, a, there is a nature to want to play and make something new. Well, we are made in his image, so we're creative beings by nature, but how are we different? And again, all of this is an intro before I get to my points, but how are we different? Well, in at least two ways. First of all, God creates from nothing, and our creativity is always a response. We're responding to his creation. You see a sunset, you've got to take a picture or you want to draw it. We're responding to a spirit. We're responding to circumstances in life. I remember when Wilcox was here years ago, and he was up on stage playing a song, and he was talking about the nature of songwriting, and he said, times are bad art is good (laughs) there's something about life that moves you to want to express it right so ours is always a response we're responding to something God creates from nothing secondly everything he creates is perfect our creativity is always tainted because of sin and the fall, our creativity is always going to be somewhat broken. Always wrestling, always longing, always wanting more. We're longing to create, we're longing to respond, we're trying to explain our brokenness through beauty and story. It's, just not, it's not that we're just creative for the sake of creativity, it's as if we're trying to remember something. It's as if every one of us is trying to remember a story. And that's my first point. We look everywhere to understand our story. In his book, Windows of the Soul, Ken Geyer put it like this He said, We painted to see if what we lost was in the picture. We composed to hear if what we lost was in the music. We sculpted to find if what we lost was in the stone. We wrote to discover if what was lost was in the story. Artist Mako Fujimura also puts it like this. He says, True artists have always been interested in making the invisible visible. There's something you see that you you have to let people know. So think about that in relation to this passage. What does Paul say? Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. So what is Geyer saying, Fujimura saying? What's this passage saying? That essentially every artist is trying to take the invisible and make it visible. There's something you see that you, got, you, got, you have to let people know, right? So you've got to get it out of you. You've got to paint it, draw it, sculpt it, sing it. You've got to get it out of you and let other people know about it. Help them understand, help them see it, help them to respond. You know, I was watching an interview with Brian Cranston this past week, and he said, "You know, even even in my worst performances, my hope was that they would just feel something, even if it wasn't the nature of what the character was supposed to be. At least experience something, feel something." Well, Paul touches on this in Acts 17 when he's speaking to the men of Areopagus, and he, you know, they're trying, they're wrestling, they're in the city, and they're talking about, they're trying to understand this unknown God. And Paul says this to them, he says this, he says, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are his offspring. He's saying these, these sculptures, these, 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 these stones, these things that you're wrestling with, I'm here to tell you, his name is Jesus. It's not a thing it's not a concept. This beauty that you're after, it's a person. All right, a couple disclaimers as I, before I move on here. Um, I'm purposefully using a lot of media and images today. <laughs> uh, it's just the nature of the topic. Um, and secondly, some of it's old school. I know that. I know some of you have probably seen some of these before. Some of you, maybe new. But that's the point. I'm trying to reach back to some of the things that we've wrestled with over the years and remind ourselves again um, this journey that we've been on. So, so familiar scene. You've seen this a couple times here if you've been here a long time. It's from the Oscar award-winning film, American Beauty. And in this story, I really believe that the author, the writer, intentionally is trying to hold up the typical American suburb and pull back the veneer and make you see that behind this so-called American beauty is dysfunction, chaos, mess. I think, I think he's wanting you to see that. But there's a piece right in the center of the film where the young boy next door, who a lot of the film has seemed kind of odd, almost recluse, you know. He wants to show the neighbor girl something that he captured on film. And you begin to see in this clip that he's actually probably the most sane. And I also believe it's a window on what the writer, the director is trying to say. Check this out.
1: You want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed? from snowing and there's this electricity in the air you can almost hear it right and this bag was just dancing with me like a little kid begging me to play with it Realize that there was this entire life behind things. And this incredibly benevolent force that wanted me to know that there was no reason to be afraid. Ever. Video video's a poor excuse, I know. But it helps me remember. I need to remember. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world. I feel like I can't take it.
0: that's the day I realized there's, there's this entire life behind things and this incredibly benevolent force who wanted me to know that there was no reason to be afraid. Ever. I need to remember. Is this a Christian film? And what exactly is Christian art? Well, we'll answer that in a second. But I think this, re- this filmmaker is wanting us to to hold this up, to give us hope, and to show us that we're all dancing in a sense with this invisible force and that there's beauty all around us and we just have to remember. We're all looking as if we're trying to understand or remember a story. And here at Grace, okay, we're not into the arts Uh, We've said this for years. We're not into the arts to try and be hip or relevant. We're not trying to make the service more cool. We're into the arts because the art is in us. It's in our very nature. Being made in His image, in that incredible benevolent force image. We're looking everywhere to understand our story. That's the first point. Second point, we listen for echoes in all the good stories. Colossians verses sixteen seventeen says this: All things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, isn't it funny? Um, even though Scripture tells us that God has created everything and that it's everywhere, it's woven into all of creation, but we often act as if the only place you can really see things that are quote Christian is in either in just in scripture or being around Christian artists. But let me ask you this: What exactly is that? What exactly is Christian art? Like, let me ask you it a different way: What's more important? Who created it, or what it's saying? What it's saying underneath? I mean, do you realize every artist, every artist, believer, non-believer, they're really trying to do the same thing? You're asking the same basic questions. Why am I here? What gives my life meaning and purpose? Where can I find joy? What should I be living for? And then at artists, you seek to express those through your works. And you try to answer those questions. Knowingly or unknowingly, every artist is doing it. In fact, Schaefer put it like this. He said, some artists may not know that they are consciously showing forth a worldview. Nonetheless... A worldview usually does show through. Even those works which were constructed under the principle of art for art's sake often imply a worldview. Even the worldview, there is no meaning, is a message. <laughs> so even an artist who says, no, nah, it's just art for art's sake, well, that's a message. <laughs> uh, they're saying something with that. And a lot of art- artists are like, it's like they go on an archaeological dig. Right, you're, you're, You pull out this jewel from this cave and you hold it up and, you, and you've got to show it. And you've got to point things out to people in that, in that thing you found. And you've got to sing it, create it, sculpt it. You've got to get it out of you and you've got to show it to others. And you've got to say, hey, this, this is the thing that's good. This is the thing that holds things together. If we just hold on to this, everything will be okay. And again... Is it more important who's saying it or what they're saying? I want you to take a look at another scene here. You know What does it mean for something to be fully Christian? For it to be a, a great story? This is from the movie Walk the Line. Some of you have seen this clip before. But in this scene, the music producer is pushing Johnny to do more with his music. Check this out.
1: Yes, I know when Jesus saved me Saved my soul The very moment he forgave me, Made me whole. He took away my heavy burdens the Lord, he gave me peace within Peace within Well, Satan can't make me doubt it I won't doubt it's it It's real and I'm gonna shout it I'm gonna shout it Well, I was on. there Hold with on, hold on. I hate to interrupt, but you guys got something else. I'm sorry. I can't market gospel no more. So that's it? I don't record material that doesn't sell Mr. Cash and gospel like that doesn't sell. So is it the gospel or the way I sing it? Both. Well, what's wrong with the way I sing it? I don't believe you. You're saying I don't believe in God? JR, come on, let's go. No, I won't understand. I mean, we come down here, we play for a minute, and he tells me I don't believe in God. You know exactly what I'm telling you. We've already heard that song a hundred times, just like that, just like how you sang it. Well, he didn't let us bring it home. Bring, Bring it home? All right, let's bring it home. If was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter, dying, and you had time to sing one song, huh? one song people would remember before your dirt, one song that would let God know what you felt about your time here on Earth, one song that would sum you up, you telling me that's the song you'd sing, that same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're going to shout it or would you sing something different something real something you felt because I'm telling you right now that's the kind of song people want to hear that's the kind of song that truly saves people
0: and if you uh, remember in the film that's when he goes on to share Folsom Prism <laughs> with him Um, You know, Johnny, I didn't realize this, but uh, he was a very influential writer. Like, people are still influenced by his writing because he went on to be so raw and honest with his lyrics. He was a mess, there's no question. But I think it still affected even art and music today. So what does it mean to be fully Christian? Like, just, let's look at the Psalms. Let's look at David. Let's look at just these three Psalms right here. Psalm 63, your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Keep in mind, before I go any further, I don't know if you realize this, but a lot of times with the Psalms, the Psalms are written, there's gaps, there's years gaps in between, okay? The Psalms aren't just written in one setting. So there's like a period of life and it's written, and then there's another period of life and it's written. So these, there's, there's time periods in between, and they're feeling all of life. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God, Psalm 69. Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, Psalm 79. And he's all over the place, the writer. Happy, angry, doubtful. So what does it mean for something to be fully Christian? Does it mean that it encompasses all the emotions of what it means to long, to hunger, to wrestle, to, to understand our story, and in the middle of that story... There's conflict, there's mess. Story is conflict and resolution, okay? And you can't have the resolution of the gospel and the good news without the conflict of the mess and pain and the sin in our lives. Now, yeah, when you're experiencing art and creativity, sure, there's discernment, there's things that you're going to have to make decisions about content and what to take in and what not. And that's a whole other topic but my main point is what it means for it to be fully embracing all the experiences, all the questions that we're asking as we're trying to understand the story. And so we had a phrase over the years. It's, it's not perfect, but it's, it's something like this. It says, we're not into Christian art, but rather art that expresses beauty and truths found in the gospel. Something that's more fully Christian, and it comes from all walks of life, it comes from all mediums. It comes from a lot of places that you wouldn't expect it. And it's messy. And there is no us and them. It's just we. And the reason I'm, I'm camping on this just a little bit is because I, you know, instead of putting all of this in camp, different camps, again, we're all asking the same questions, and we're all hungering for a story, a story that ultimately is found in him. Why is it that there's some of these things that we all uh, kind of agree on collectively in society that are, that they're timeless, that they're beautiful, it doesn't matter where you are in your walk. It could be a movie like Les Mis or, or Shawshank or maybe it's, you know, classical music or it's a painting or even a, a current TV series. What is it that where everybody goes, hey, that, that right there, that's beautiful. That right there, that, that's good. I know that's good. Um... Maybe something like this from a, a scene from This Is Us.
1: I feel really bad for upsetting you on the phone earlier. Oh, no, you didn't. I was going through my own thing. Okay. I just, I want, I want today to be perfect for you in every way that you've ever dreamed about. And I know that sometimes I can make you, you know. So I'm just, I want to stay out of your way,
0: okay? Okay. Mom, I know that our stuff, it can be complicated sometimes. But it's because all that I've ever wanted was to be like you. I wanna be a singer like you. I wanna be a mom like you. I wanna have a marriage like yours. Mom, you are not. You're not in my way. You are my way. Sweetheart. No, no, cry, no cry. We okay, have to get okay. to the wedding first uh, before you cry. No, but it's, it's a beautiful image and a, a great reminder on Mother's Day. You know, to all the moms out there, you've you know you strive to love and lead the way, good and bad. Um, we love you. And, you know, to those who uh, are struggling on this day, um, maybe it's not as much of a celebration. You know, the scriptures talk about God mothering us, comforting us. And He is our way, and He is your way, even in that today. Um, but what is it about things like this? What is it about stories like this, images like this that make our hearts get quiet? What is it about great stories? Echoes. There's something in there. There's something in there we're listening for. You know, we're trying to understand our story. We're listening for echoes in that story and these, all these good stories. But the beauty itself, this leads to my third point, is not enough. We have to be found and rescued in his greater story. Have you ever noticed on certain pieces, like, there's certain foundational realities or truths that, that really everybody kind of says, these are, these are important things in good stories. You know, things like forgiveness, mercy, compassion, redemption, you know, sacrificing your life for another, you know, like, well, where do those ideas come from? You know, if we just evolved and there is no God, why would some of those things be important to live for? That doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you give your life for another? You know, if it's survival of the fittest, it's my life over yours. You know, that's not the story I want to tell. (laughs) But is there something that we're hungering for, that we're all longing for? And what is it that there's these human inclinations that are telling us that there's another world to live for? That there's something even better to live for? Tolkien said this in his book on fairy stories. He said, in the gospel, you don't have one more story that points to a greater reality. It is the reality to which all stories point. Here's what he's saying. In every story, okay, and basically all of art is a story. Okay, even a painting is a story. A photo is a story. It's, It's saying something. In every story... There's a reality that the artist is holding up. You should live for this. right? Here's the reality you should live for, and life will be better. And what Tolkien was saying, and he said this to C.S. Lewis, is he said, in the gospel, you don't have one more reality that you should be living for. It is the reality to which all of the stories are trying to tell. All the stories are pointing to. He said, it's kind of like Gravity. If you tell all these stories about gravity, the only way those stories matter is because gravity exists. There is such a thing as gravity and you're trying to explain gravity. And what Tolkien is saying is you're trying to explain his reality. That there is a true story and we're all trying in a sense to tell that story regardless because we were made in his image. And that penny drop for C.S. Lewis, by the way, that was a big turning point for him. And came to faith, he went on to write a lot of things uh, to capture the imagination, as he would say, uh, and draw people to the greater story. But here's the thing as I move towards this, this final point. You know, is there something in all these stories? You know, obviously a lot of society, we're obsessed with beauty and art and stories. But is there... Is there something that we typically, most of us, leave out? <laughs> you know, is there a way that we look at these realities and we say, "Yeah, we should be living for that," and we uh, think we should be living for a better story? But is there a story we're even telling ourselves that we're blind to? That we can't see? That we're really, we're kind of deceived, as as Proverbs says. And we can even get lost in our own stories and thinking that the next beautiful thing or the next beautiful story is going to be the answer. Well, is it that we have to actually be rescued from ourselves? Not by something beautiful, but by someone. Verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is something broken in all of us. It has to be reconciled. And there is a pe- there's a peace that needs to be made with this war that's going on inside of us. You look around, man. There's all kinds of chaos And we keep thinking, well, just more beautiful. Beauty, that's what we need. A better idea, a better way to live. And we've tried that. Has non-humanity tried that? We've tried that for thousands of years. Here's the things to live for. But we can't ever seem to get there. I mean, we've become technologically advanced, right? I mean, we, we get better at things technologically, but we're still, in a lot of ways, selfish and destructive creatures consuming one another. We just have better tools to do it. So here's the real story. We're not Snow White or Cinderella or even Sleeping Beauty, just needing to be woken up by a prince. We're not beauty. We're, we're more like Beauty and the Beast. And we're the beast. And we need a kiss from our Creator to wake us up and it transform us and make us new. We're zombies in The Walking Dead, consuming everyone and everything, and we need a cure. We need something uh, to make us human again. We are Eustace in C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian, trying to shed our skin, but only Aslan can break the spell and bring us alive and make us new. We are not basically good people in the story of life with just a few issues. We're the villains. <laughs> really, Scripture says we're the, we're the villains. We're none are righteous, no, not one. We can't be the hero in our own story. We're the problem. We need a hero. We need someone, a real hero. Someone who can save us. We don't need a hero idea to live for we need a hero for us Tim Keller put it like this he said if if he Jesus is just a hero to you it won't help if he's a hero for you then eventually he will be a hero through you he has to be a hero for you in order to make you new and heroic and able to love others Someone has to give up their life. Someone has to give up their rights. Someone has to die. That's always the great thing in a, in a hero story. Picasso said this. He said, every act of creation is first an act of destruction. Right? So the darkness is destroyed by the light. Pain is eliminated by hope and new life. Hate is erased, destroyed by overwhelming love. And instead of our inevitable destruction, our hero takes on this mess and destruction at the cross so that all things, including us, can be made new. That we are being made into new art. Into His image. Into what's truly beautiful. As I prepare to close, um, I want to just give you kind of a summary of images in this montage to just look back at what we've kind of covered here. You know, we are all trying to understand our story, and we listen for echoes in all the great stories, but we are hungering and longing to be free in a better story. So listen to this, and we'll close.
1: You see something different. No you tempted, but don't peek. Mm-hmm. There she blows. Somebody made that up. It's the beauty that hurts you most, son, not the ugly. by nature. It's governed by the laws of physics of the whole universe. It's an overtone. It's an energy. It's a wavelength. And if you're not riding it, good lordy, you'll never hear it.
0: Where do you think it comes from? from What I
1: hear. I think it comes from all around you, really. I mean, it's... comes through us. Some of us. (laughs) It's invisible, but, but you feel it.
0: Only some
1: of us can hear it. Only some of us are listening. They're just stories. The Mad Hatter is in Alice in Wonderland, a book. A book I actually read. Stories. Stories. What's a story? When you were in high school, did you learn about the Civil War?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: How? Did you read about it perchance in a book? How is that any less real than any other book? history books are based on history and story books are based on what imagination where does that come from it has to come from somewhere (laughs) it's just one story the oldest come with me and you'll be
0: in a world of pure imagination take a look and you'll see into your imagination. There is no life I know to compare with your imagination.
1: Living there, you'll be free
0: if you truly Creator is calling us to be free, but not in the art itself, but in something, someone, more. C.S. Lewis put it beautifully like this in Weight of Glory. He said, We do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. The books of the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. At present we are on the outside, the wrong side of the door. We cannot mingle with the pleasures we see, but all of the New Testament are wrestling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. We will put on glory, that greater glory of which nature is only the first sketch. We long to connect. We long to get in with something. And here's ultimate reality. Ultimate beauty is not found in the next beautiful thing. It's found in... In the beautiful one. His name is Jesus, who came to give us life, to reconcile us to himself so that we could be united with him and receive him into ourselves. That's what we're longing for. That's the story. We want to understand. That's the echoes of what we're trying to hear. And only in His great rescue can you and I truly be free. And free to be loved and to love others. Loving others. That's the beautiful artwork. Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we long to understand ourselves, to understand you, to know you, to receive you, to, to know that you are our way, to receive into ourselves all that you have done to accomplish this. And our doing in us to make us new and alive in you. I ask now again today, this morning, that we would trust that. That we would repent of the ways that we have chased everything in creation but you. And what it means to find that hunger and longing in you. And all that you have done, you are drawing us to our to you and the father and making us one we love you and we praise you may we may we sing about that may we live about that this week i pray in your name amen